extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivers me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you, his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Oh, come behold the works of God, the nations at his feet. He breaks the bow and bends the spear and tells the wars to cease. Oh, mighty one of Israel, you are on our side. We walk by faith in God who burns the chariots with fire. Lord of hosts, you're with us, with us in the fire, with us as a shelter, with us in the storm. You will lead us through the fiercest battle. Oh, where else would we go with the Lord of hosts? Oh, you are the Lord. 
us as a shelter and with us in the storm. You will lead us through the fiercest battle. Oh, where else would we go but with the Lord of hosts? Lord of hosts, you with us, with us in the fire, with us as a shelter, with us in the our God is the Lord of hosts, that he is moving mightily and that he is in control. Good morning, Wheaton Bible Church, and welcome to our online stream this Sunday morning. Would you continue to sing with us as we lift up the name of our holy God? We sing this out that he is holy, Lord God Almighty.
Lord Jesus, I am blind. Be thou my light. Ignorant, be thou my wisdom. Self-willed, be thou my mind. Open my ear to grasp quickly thy spirit's voice and delightfully run after his beckoning hand. Melt my conscience that no hardness remain. Make it alive to evil's slightest touch. When Satan approaches, may I flee to thy wounds and there cease to tremble at all alarms. Be my good shepherd to lead me into the green pastures of thy word and cause me to lie down beside the rivers of its comforts. Fill me with peace that no disquieting worldly gales may ruffle the calm surface of my soul. Thy cross was appraised to be my refuge. Thy blood streamed forth to wash me clean. Thy death occurred to give me surety. Thy name is my property to save me. By thee all heaven is poured into my heart, but it is too narrow to comprehend thy love. I was a stranger, an outcast, a slave, a rebel, but thy cross has brought me near, has softened my heart, has made me thy father's child, has admitted me to thy family, has made me joint heir with thyself. Oh, that I may love thee as thou lovest me, that I may walk worthy of thee, my Lord, that I may reflect the image of heaven's firstborn. May I always see thy beauty with the clear eye of faith and feel the power of thy spirit in my heart. For unless he move mightily in me, no inward fire will be kindled.
come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Great, you love. 
Amen, Lord, we declare that your name is powerful, that it is the name above all names, God, and we stand confident in that truth. Lord, we worship you today for you are worthy of our praise. God, open our hearts and minds as we hear your word. Jesus, we love you. Teach us to love the way you love. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Good morning, church. My name is Chad Lowe, and I serve as the interim campus pastor of Tri-Village Church, our Streamwood campus. Now, over the last several weeks of sheltering in place, I have been all over with emotions. I had the initial, we've got this, when everything started. I've also had anxiety over when is this going to end. And right now, I just want to see my friends and family. But it makes me wonder, how are you doing? In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter is writing to the early church, and he tells them, humble yourselves before God. And he says, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. See, God wants us to be in communion with him, to talk with him. And we'd love to join you in doing that through prayer. So wherever you're at, whatever you're facing, would you take a moment right now, text the word prayer to the number on the screen. You'll receive a prompt back asking for your request. And if you'd like to remain anonymous, totally fine. We would just love to join you in prayer this week. One of the over 50 nations where our church has influence is Albania in Eastern Europe. Our missionaries, Eric and Kathy Gundy, have been serving for over 20 years in this majority Muslim nation. Their team does holistic ministry, much like Puente del Pueblo, sustaining families in crisis and helping them thrive. During this COVID-19 lockdown, their team has been a shining light serving the vulnerable in their community. They don't have access to local food pantries like we do, so their team and their church has helped to provide food for over 150 families. They also created their own version of Meals on Wheels to support the elderly and shut-ins. The Albanian government has seen what's been taking place and even asked their worship team to get on flatbed trucks and play music during quarantine to provide hope and encouragement for their community. God is opening doors like never before and allowing his love to shine through. Your generosity is helping support the Gundys and over 90 missionaries who serve through Wheaton Bible Church around the world. And God is using them to provide hope and point to the hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Would you please take a moment right now to prayerfully consider giving to support the ministries of Wheaton Bible Church? You can do so easily by texting Wheaton Bible to 77977. You can also go to the website wheatonbible.org give, or you can also mail in check to our church offices. Thank you so much for the way that you support ministries here at this church. Before we receive our offering, I'd like to invite Pastor Rob up to pray. Pastor Rob. Before I pray, I want to mention two things. Actually, I want to remind you, I'm stating the obvious, but it's a Memorial Day weekend, so we want to appreciate and honor those men and women of our armed services that paid the ultimate sacrifice in order to preserve the freedoms that we now enjoy today. All of you in the military who've been in the military, I want you to know we are deeply grateful for your service and your sacrifices to preserve the country as we know it and enjoy it today. I also want to talk a minute about this hot topic of reopening local churches. 
We know that in just the last couple of days, this has become a rapidly moving target, and we understand that. And so I want to take just a moment to tell you where we are at this point in time, maybe kind of, sort of, and I'm saying a little of that tongue-in-cheek, but things are so or things are changing so rapidly, uh, what I'm about to say uh, may change over the course of the next uh, couple of weeks. First of all, um, we plan to be exclusively online through the month of June. But at the same time, as we have begun already, we are going to now accelerate what it might look like to do gradual, smallish um, openings with small groups of people in the last half of June. There's a lot to that logistically. There's a a lot to work out. Um, But we've had a lot of people thinking about, we're talking to lots of other churches, uh, learning from their experiences. We're all in this uh, together. Uh, Some of you as lay people have been providing wonderful input. Uh, Shout out to you, uh, Glenn Miller, for your Rolling Thunder plan. Uh, We're coming after you because we want to pull you in. Another lay people along with um, a collection of staff and elders to put together a task force so we can begin to prudently plan on reopening. Now, we have three commitments, and our first commitment is to reopen. We believe that the Bible is clear that we need to worship together in purpose. That's our driving commitment. Having said that, our second commitment is to do it in a way that's safe, especially safe during this pandemic. And then third, as we reopen, we want to do it in a way um, that offers a good worship experience in light of the logistics and the cautions and the safety protocol that we will have to engage in. All that to say, uh, this is complex, it's complicated, and want you to be praying for your church, for the churches around the country as we wrestle with this over the next weeks, over the next couple of months. Having said that, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that you are the creator, the redeemer, the restorer, that before the foundation of the world, you, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, existed in a trinity of delight and love and harmony. And you have created us to demonstrate your unfailing love. And nowhere is that more vivid than what we have seen you do in history, in space and time, in Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life and died on the cross in our place, was raised bodily from the dead, and is now at your right hand, where he intercedes for us. Father, how can we get our minds around this love, this beauty, the splendor and majesty of who you are? So we praise you, and we want you to know that we love you and adore you and worship you. And we thank you for our veterans. We thank you for this Memorial Day weekend, and we pray that you would help us to remember the cost and the sacrifices that we enjoy today as a country. 
And we pray for wisdom relative to reopening and what that'll look like and how we start and the baby steps and then the bigger steps and even bigger steps after that. Oh God, we come to you. And we ask for wisdom and discernment. We pray that for our fellow uh, churches in the Chicago land area, for churches around the world, that we can be all that you want us to be, that we can be bold on the one hand and loving and gentle on the other. And as we talk about wisdom today, Father, we need your wisdom. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. He was a sophomore in high school, and he was driving with some of his high school buddies to a girls' basketball game, an away game that just happened to be uh, reasonably far away. Actually, it was on the near west side of the inner city of Chicago. But as often is the case, uh, these guys were paying way more attention to what was going on inside the car than outside the car. And they really didn't realize that they were driving into an increasingly dangerous neighborhood. But a policeman did. And a policeman turned on his lights and pulled them over, asked them what they were doing, where they were going. And he said to them, you guys have made a couple of wrong turns. And if you make another wrong turn or two, you're going to be in real dangerous territory. So I'm going to escort you out of here. I want you to follow me. He did, and they did. Now, I wish I could tell you that that was a story I read online. But the reality, that was my son when he was in high school. This is week number two in our series on wisdom from the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And my point isn't to belittle or to endorse escapism from the very real, severe, and significant problems of the inner cities of our great cities in the United States. No, instead, my point is that according to the book of Proverbs, wisdom is avoiding making wrong turns. Not just with your car, but with your life with your friendships, with who you date, with what you do with your time, what you do with your money, with your values, your priorities, with what you do with your cell phone and what you do with God. And by the way, we all understand those two aren't equal, right? Wisdom in the book of Proverbs is skillful living. It's living life skillfully. It's competence in the face of the complexities of life. Now, it's not mere external morality. You can be a very moral person and not be wise, as the Bible counts wisdom. But rather, wisdom in the book of Proverbs is loving what God loves and hating what God hates from the heart. So wisdom, as we will see it played out today, is avoiding making wrong turns, both in terms of the issues of your heart and then your behavior. So today we come to Proverbs chapter 2. I think it's one of the most helpful chapters in the book of Proverbs. 
And we're going to look at two things primarily. How we gain wisdom, how we can get wisdom, and then what are the benefits of wisdom. So we're going to look at our responsibilities uh, in securing wisdom, and then the rewards or what we gain from wisdom. And we're going to focus at the beginning as we read the first nine verses of chapter 2 on how we get wisdom. So follow with me as I begin reading in Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 1. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding... Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair. Every good path. Now I see here four ways to get wisdom in these nine verses. And the first has to do with our perspective, and here it is. Our perspective is that we understand wisdom is a path, it's not a pill. Actually, path is the last word in verse 9, it's the last word I read in this passage. And path is used over and over along with other synonyms in the book of Proverbs. And it's a metaphor for life. Life is like walking a path. A taking a stroll, but it's a marathon, an ultra marathon, not a sprint. So your final destiny in life is a product of the choices you make, uh, uh, the things you do as you walk through life. Those choices, those decisions that make up each and every day of your life. So you take on a set of daily practices and you do them over and over like walking a path and you end up with wisdom. Another said, uh, wisdom functions like the left, right, left, right of walking a path. It functions as the um, compilation of the daily practices of your life. But please, wisdom is a path. It's not a pill. It's not something you swallow and then you suddenly get wisdom. It takes a lifetime of adopting increasingly biblical values and priorities, developing di biblical disciplines and, and practices. Or to paraphrase Eugene Peterson, it's a, wisdom is a long obedience in the same direction. But I want to make two applications. And here's the first. 
Never give up. Don't get discouraged. These spiritual practices, I'm, I'm talking prayer and Bible study and worship and being actively involved in a small group have become increasingly hard for us even as followers of Christ in a day and age of high-speed internet and smartphones, in a day and age of nonstop entertainment. So we today, even in the church, uh, suffer from a form of spiritual ADD. We're sort of like Tigger and Winnie the Pooh. We just bounce from one excitement to the other. But Solomon here is calling for us to spend our life walking this path, this left-right, to understand it's a, a marathon, not, not a sprint. I mean, think about how much easier it is to be on your phone than to read the Bible. And so my point is don't get discouraged. Don't have unrealistic expectations or suddenly you're going to feel a certain way or experience certain things or you're going to have instant answers to your prayer. Life doesn't work like that. You see, you can play a video game in just minutes, but wisdom will take you the entirety of your life. And the second thing I want to add is along the way, you are miles ahead of the game if you expect adversity, you expect difficulty. God has a plan for your life, a wonderful plan for your life, but that plan involves pain, frustration, disappointment. This is exactly what we see in Proverbs chapter 3. Look at 11 and 12. My son, Solomon says, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father. Now notice this, the son he delights in. Now there have been a couple moments, just a couple in my life when I for a, a few moments thought about walking away from God. Just turning my back, just giving up. And as I've reflected on those moments, uh, they had uh, several things in common. One was I was in crisis. I was up to my eyeballs in frustration, pain, and disappointment. And, and the other was that God seemed distant. God, where'd you go? Why'd you disappear in this moment of need? And then the third was that I noticed in those moments, I was all wrapped in my, up in my own feelings. I was, if you will, drowning under the heavy weight of my self-pity. Now, when we talk about wisdom in the book of Proverbs, wisdom doesn't escape difficulty, but it transforms it into more and more wisdom to the extent you and I see that the trials, the discipline that God takes us through is part of God's perfect plan in a fallen world to grow us, to shape us, to mold us into the image of his beloved son. So the very thing you hate in your life right now just happens to be the very thing God is using to grow you 
to fill you with maturity and discernment. And you're miles ahead of the game if you understand that God God doesn't merely love you. As we see here at the end of verse 12, he delights in you. And so to the extent that we... uh, we get, uh, that we uh, process and we keep before us all the time uh, that God is the creator and that we live in a sinful fallen world, then we will be able to embrace the mystery. And like Job, at the end of the book of Job, we'll be okay. So that's the perspective. Wisdom is like a path, it's not a pill. Now I want to go on to three practices, and this takes us back to the beginning of chapter 2. And let's look at verse 1. My son, if you accept my words and store my commands within you. You grow in wisdom, Solomon is telling us, to the extent uh, God's word grows in you. And that's what we see here in verse 1. Now let me point out something historically. This father, this Solomon, was the king of Israel. And just recently, relatively speaking, Solomon had completed the magnificent Jewish temple in Jerusalem. A temple that was one of the ancient wonders of the world. And so when Solomon calls his son, uh, he's calling his son and he's calling you to be the temple. Uh, to um, uh, store up in the inner sanctuary of your heart God's word, to make it the center of your life, uh, to, uh, uh, to use God's word to protect your life, uh, just as the Ten Commandments in the temple were the center of the Holy of Holies. It's this incredible picture. Be like the temple. Be as magnificent and uh, beautiful. And Paul picks up this metaphor in 1 Peter and tells us we are the temple, the living temple of God. And at the center of our lives is the word of God. The verb to store up means to treasure. And I wonder, do you treasure God's word? If you treasure God's word, you're going to press it into your heart. As I often say, you're going to memorize it. So you will have certain verses that are accessible and available to you uh, when, say, you face temptation. Just like Jesus used God's word when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Or if you feel like you're spiraling downward and wrestling with a bout of discouragement or depression. You can use God's word like David did in Psalm 42. Why are you so distressed, O my soul? Why are you so downcast within me? Uh, And so he used biblical self-talk, not to listen to his feelings, but to speak to his feelings from God's word. Or you kids, you students. Think of the very familiar verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only one and only son. Now, let's say you've just experienced rejection. A friend's rejected you or something's gone on in your family or uh, with your peers or in your life situation where, man, you're really disappointed and you're hurting. And these feelings are rising up inside of you. So you grab this highly familiar verse 
and you tell yourself, you know, I may not feel loved right now by others. But John 3.16 tells me God so loved the world, he so loved me that he gave me his one and only son. And I know God loves me because he gave me Jesus. And you press that truth into your life situations, in the difficulty, in, into these funky feelings you're having. And that's what we call wisdom. It's storing up God's commands within you. Now, I don't want to underestimate this. This is going to be a challenge. It will take worse. It's a work, rather. It's a battle. And yes, you will experience up and downs. You'll memorize a verse, and three weeks later, you'll completely have forgotten what verse you memorize. But God understands that. That's not a deal breaker with God. There's only one deal breaker with God. And that is complacency. So let's back up and let's look at how chapter 1 ended. Look at this verse, verse 32. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them. And here it is, the complacency of fools will destroy them. You know, you don't have to reject Jesus to waste your life. According to this verse, all you have to be, all you have to do is be okay with who you are. We call it complacency. Uh, where you're stuck in neutral. And you're so distracted, you're so busy with a, a bunch of other things. Uh, that when it comes to your spiritual life, your walk with Jesus in light of the New Testament, uh, the best word to describe it would be complacent. Now, I want you to see the connection between this verse and the beginning of Proverbs chapter 2, because at the beginning of Proverbs chapter 2, we have the solution. Here, we have the problem. Beginning in chapter 2, we see the dynamics of change. The psychology of change. Here in verse 32, we see the enemy of change. The thing that will kill any spiritual momentum, any wisdom in your life. And so let me just say, say, say as I move on, how you treat the Bible determines how you treat your life. Now let's go on to the second practice. This is verse 3. We pray for wisdom. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. Now these verbs, call out and cry aloud, are, are, are strong verbs. They, uh, they express strong emotions, intense passion, focused attention. Think of a dog chewing on a bone. There's a sense of urgency here in verse 3. There's also a conviction, a deep-seated confidence that my God answers prayer. That my God hears and my God will respond. And this is so important for us relative to walking a path of wisdom. Because there's all sorts of choices and decisions we make in life that the Bible doesn't specifically speak to. Like where you go to school. Who you date. What job do you take? What do you do if you lose your job? 
What kind of car do you drive? What, is, what do we as a church do about reopening? Well, what about this church? Well, what about that church over here? How do we get wisdom? Well, the answer is right here. By praying, but not just praying, not just uttering words, but by praying passionately, by calling out and crying aloud for understanding. Now, these verses, these verbs are, are, are not only commands, they're also promises. And the promise is if you pray, God will answer. God will give you wisdom. I had, experience, I had an experience with God just a couple of days ago. I'd been praying about uh, something for some months. And then I felt God spoke to me. And, and he said to me, hey, hey Rob, um, uh, this is how you've been praying, but I'm going to answer this prayer differently. Now, there's a little more to the story because Rhonda was praying the same prayer, but praying for a different outcome. And immediately when I sensed God speaking to me, I sensed God saying, hey, Rob, I'm not going to answer like you're praying. I'm going to answer like Rhonda's praying. We had this dueling prayer thing going on in our marriage. And I thought to myself, I'm the pastor, God. But even though that was a little moment between me and God, it was a big deal for me. It was really encouraging. In spite of God answering no, saying yes to Rhonda. Because the only way I got there is because of the importance of prayer in my life. Now let's go on. Practice number three. To me, this is so meaningful. That you and I seek wisdom. Look at this beautiful verse. And if you look for it, that would be wisdom as for silver, and search for it, that would be wisdom as for hidden treasure. Then you will discover, we go on in verse 5, uh, the fear of the Lord. Now this verse, this one verse, has impacted my life as much as any verse in the Bible. Shortly after I came to Christ... I was on a college retreat out in East Texas. I was reading my Bible outside, and I was in Proverbs chapter 2, and this verse just overwhelmed me because immediately as I read it and I thought about it, it clarified two things, my responsibility and my priority. As I said last week, you are what you love. And what you love determines what you pursue. What you look for, what you search for in the language of the verse. What you seek and and what you pursue determines whether or not you will live wisely or foolishly. The wise path or the foolish path. Now look at these verbs, look for and search for. They imply that you're busy, that you're preoccupied with Jesus. Uh, I mean, to search for silver meant you had to mine for silver. In Solomon's day, you needed hammers, you needed chisels, and you needed to go into the side of a mountain and go deep. 
then searching for uh, a hidden treasure suggests you've got a, a, a field and you know there's some treasure buried there and so you dig over here and you don't find it. Then you dig over here and you don't find it. And you dig over here and you still don't find it. What do you do? You got to keep on digging. Just as archaeologists do when they're searching for artifacts. Now the metaphors here uh, looking for it as silver and searching for it as hidden, hidden treasure it, it imply sweat, they imply sacrifice, they imply a difficulty. Now yes, if you bounce down two verses to verse six, we are told, we are promised that God gives wisdom. That's a description of the sovereignty of God, the grace of God. God in his sovereignty, God in his grace gives us wisdom. But here two verses earlier, we're told that wisdom is on you. It's on me. We, say that we see the same uh, paradox or tension in Philippians chapter 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You look for it. You search for it. For it is God who is at work in you. God gives wisdom. Now, the last time I taught through the book of Proverbs, I didn't ask this question, but I want to ask it and wrestle with it for a couple moments right now. What exactly is it should we, that we should seek? I don't want to leave this amorphous. And I want to suggest at the top of the list there are two things. And the first is that you should seek to know God. And we see this in chapter 3 and verse 3. Now, there's some controversy or rather some debate among scholars about the beginning of this verse. But I happen to uh, think I'm of the persuasion, as are some other scholars, that love and faithfulness doesn't merely describe how you treat other people, but love and faithfulness describes how God treats you. And the author, therefore, is saying, you will be loving and faithful in your relationships with others to the extent that you bind God's love and his faithfulness around your neck and you write it on the tablet of your heart. In other words, to the extent you pound into your heart that God is absolutely committed to you, that he delights in you, that was that's verse 12, that he went to infinite lengths in Jesus Christ to rescue you, that he will never let you go, and that one day he is glorying to make you perfect and glorify you and bring you into his presence forever, then you will find wisdom. So let me just encourage you to, to find ways like prayer, Bible reading, uh, maybe it's taking walks, listening to music, reading devotional liter literature. Find ways to pound into your heart that I am loved, I am accepted. I'm adopted by God. And in his sight, I'm significant. And I'm secure. You seek it as silver. Silver. And then second, we also seek to know ourselves. Look at verse 7 in chapter 3. 
Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This is very interesting. And we see this uh, theme or motif over and over again in the book of Proverbs. Wise people know their own foolishness. Foolish people think they are wise. Wise people are humble. They know, they're conscious of their own sin, their own weaknesses. They know their own heart is an idol factory and that they can go to the right or they can go to the left and easily get distracted and easily begin to get off uh, the wisdom path, the wisdom trail. So know yourself. Know your weaknesses. And be open about them. Talk to people you trust about them. Uh, Seek counsel on how to overcome them. When you're in your small groups, this is the kind of stuff you want to discuss. And to the extent you are cognizant and aware of how much God loves you, then you will be open to publicly not be wise in your own eyes. And you'll be a student. You'll be a man or woman that confesses sin, that doesn't pretend. And there's a whole lot of spiritual pretending that goes on in the kingdom of God. And if you know yourself and you're secure in God's love, then you will avoid the difficulty of denial. I mean spiritual denial. So let's move on. Let's go on. And let's talk now about the benefits of wisdom. And let me fast forward through a couple sides. Because as we move into the second half of chapter 2, we uh, learn how we face temptation. And so in terms of Proverbs chapter 2, what we discover is uh, uh, some of the great uh, benefits of um, The book of Proverbs and wisdom here is to show us how to face temptation. I want to mention three things. First of all, and I need to back up here. I got ahead of myself. You will know God. This is benefit number one. Uh, This is gain number one. And this is verse five. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. Now the fear of the Lord isn't just believing in God. It's being so full of, the, of joyful awe in the magnificence of God that you are shaken and continually shaken at the core of your being about how great your God is, how much he has loved you. He loves you, all he has done for you in Jesus Christ. Now this is important because over the years I've had different people come to me and some have said, hey, Rob, I need, I've been unfaithful. I need to confess it. Or I drink too much. Or I say, can't seem to get past my grief or, or my anger. And those are huge deals, huge problems, huge difficulties. But I want you to understand, according to the book of Proverbs, those are downstream problems. 
And these downstream problems are the result of at some point, in some way, to some extent, these people stopped seeking God in a particular area of their life. And because of what happened upstream in abandoning wisdom, they're experiencing significant downstream issues. But the uh, promise here is that you can know God. The promise isn't that difficulties will go away. And when you know God and you flesh it out by living a life of wisdom, you will find the upstream strength to overcome the downstream difficulties you will face. Even when they are severe, even when they threaten to drown you, there's a second reward here. And this is where I started and now I come back to. You will know how to face temptation. There are two different types of temptation here. The first is found in verse 12. Wisdom will save you. Notice the word save, rescue, deliver. Save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse. In other words, you gain wisdom and uh, wisdom promises, God promises to keep you from the temptations of the wrong crowds. Uh, From the problems of bad friends, people who will get you in trouble. And we have another kind of temptation uh, wisdom keeps you from in verse 16. Wisdom will also save you from the adulterous woman. If Solomon were writing uh, to a daughter, he would say from an adulterous man. Here, wisdom, God promises to protect you, to save you, rescue you from sexual temptation. So here in the second half of chapter 2, Not just once, but twice, wisdom is expressed in terms of relationship choices. Now let me press this for a moment. Some of you are running with the wrong crowd. Or you're dating the wrong person. Or you're listening to the wrong voices. Again, a downstream problem because you've abandoned upstream wisdom. Wisdom always reveals itself in your choices and how you handle relationships, relationships with the opposite sex. Now, I am not saying uh, only hang out with people that love Jesus. I am not saying uh, avoid people that are on a different page spiritually than you are. I mean, Jesus didn't live that way. But I am saying, don't let those people dictate your morality, morality, your heart. The promise is, if you give yourself to wisdom, they won't. They can't. Now, parents, when we were raising our teenagers... As they got older, as they moved through their teenage years, we gave them more autonomy, more freedom, uh, more flexibility. But one thing we always did, one thing that was constant, is we always paid close attention to their friends. And it's not out of line for you as a parent 
depending on how significant the issue is, to step in and, and, and to say to a son or daughter, okay, you're done with that friend, or you're done with those groups of friends, or that particular group of friends. We had to do that with a 16-year-old daughter. And we said to her, okay, you're done with these people. And boy, did we have a storm in our house for a while. But it was just a matter of months. Let me say four months. And she came back to us and said, hey, Mom and Dad, I want you to know that was exactly the right thing. I needed to do that. I just didn't see it as the time, at the time. So parents, what I'm saying is, don't confuse being a parent with being a friend. Our responsibility as parents is to parent first. Now, of course, good parents want to develop friendships and relationships with their children. I'm not disputing that. But I am saying sometimes you have to step in and make choices, especially in light of these uh, applications, these temptations here in chapter 2, where your kids may not feel great about you for a a period of time, maybe a short period of time, maybe a, a longer period of time, uh, maybe some months. And there's one reward and then we're done. One final reward and you will be blessed by God. Thus you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. So the promise here is you will make good choices and you will taste the fruit of those good choices. You will adopt good values. You will enjoy good friends and, and good spiritual accountability because you're walking on the good path. And even though it gets steep and even though the rocks get big and even though the path gets difficult, you will say to yourself, and I know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God works all things together for good. He has me on the good path. Now all of this, of course, is the overflow of what the New Testament tells us God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Everything in Proverbs points to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Jesus is wisdom incarnate. So to the extent we take our eyes off ourselves and we see Jesus living a perfect life for us, dying on the cross in our place for our sins, being raised bodily from the dead. And we believe in Jesus and we trust in Jesus and each and every day of our life, we continue to believe in Jesus and continue to trust in Jesus in the little moments and in the big moments. Then God is promising us a good path a wise path. After all, Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2 that Jesus, in Jesus rather, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He who said, let light shine in the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. The face of Jesus is a metaphor for the person and the work of Jesus. And may you, with everything in you, seek him. Let's pray. 
So, Father, we come to you. We are amazed at how much you love us, all that you have done for us. And now as we return to worship, we ask that you would be using the truths of your word to cement them into our heart. And I pray in Jesus' great name, amen. Yeah. 
What a foundation you offer us, Father, in your Son. Thank you for building on it through the power of your Spirit. And so we worship you because there is none like you. And we love you. So as we move through this Memorial Day weekend, God, bless us and fill us with a sense of the abundance of your unfailing love. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. Thank you for worshiping with us today. My name is Hannah and I serve on our student life team. Each Wednesday, we've had the opportunity to live stream from right here where I'm standing and spend some time interacting with our tribe, junior high, and high school students. But it's not just a night where you watch. You get to be a part of it. We play some really fun interactive games, dive deep into God's word together, and you might even have the chance to win some pretty cool raffle prizes. Maybe you or a friend have been really struggling with the stay-at-home order. We would love to have you tune in and spend some time laughing with us, diving deep into God's truths, and just staying connected in community. We'll see you there this Wednesday at 7 o'clock. We know there are a lot of you that are new joining us here on Sundays, and we're super excited to have you here. And while you've been getting to know us through your screen, we want to get to know you a little bit more. 
If you want to get connected more deeply at our church, you can go to wheatonbible.org connect. Or better yet, today after our 1030 service, we're going to be having an after party on Zoom. Some of our pastors and members from our team are going to be on the Zoom link, and they want to get to know you a little bit more, say hi, and talk about the message that we all heard today. If you're interested in joining the Zoom party, you can head on over to our Facebook page and click the link there. That's all for today. Thank you so much for choosing to spend part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an awesome week. We'll see you at the after party.